Welcome back to A Time to Think. This is Pastor Chris Tillman. This is Pastor Josh Holland. We both share a middle name. We do, and it is? Carl, with a C. So that means when Pastor Chris calls me, I usually shout, Carl! Carl! Carl. And uh, it's in term of endearment. Correct. I'm endeared to you, Chris. Likewise. I like who you are. Thank you. I like who you are as well. Who are you, Chris? I am in Christ. You. As are you. Okay. You went with the softball answer yes. there. Uh, the question, who are you, is just this, this super broad question that um, people define in different ways. And, and we've seen in Carl Truman's work that we define ourselves oftentimes by our feelings or our sexuality or whatever these different definitions are. Chris, he really interestingly starts one of his chapters by thinking, who would he be if he was born in a different time and place? Yeah. Most of us have thought that. Right. So, so who would you be? Here's what I wrote down. Who would you be if you were born in an Aztec civilization a thousand years ago? Dead. I wouldn't make it, Josh. <laughs> I wouldn't make it. Why not? No air conditioning. Yeah. Um, no plumbing. No power tools. No cars. No many things that I enjoy and appreciate. I so I would you, be dead. I think you could still make it. Well, you wouldn't like it. That's correct. That's correct. How so about Chris, you, Josh? What would you be? That's Who would the, you be? That's the question, right? Because yeah. right now, Josh is a pastor, a husband, a father, a friend, a Christian. Uh, I have certain hobbies. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so to think of who would I be, well, I guess the likelihood is I would still be some sort of worker and probably a husband and probably sure. a father because in most societies in human history, people work jobs, they get married, and they have kids. Um, but it's almost impossible to try to think who would I be mm-hmm. in those scenarios, right? Because yeah. all of the things that you said you would miss are uniquely modern Western things, right? right? If I asked someone 300 years ago how they felt about DeWalt power tools, mm-hmm. they would have no opinion. Yeah, Maybe burn you at the stake, in fact. But actually, one of the things that you find incredibly enjoyable is working with power tools. Right. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's because you live in a time and place with accessibility to power tools um, and the ability to construct homes in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So what I think Truman is getting at here is that we have this idea that we define ourselves, and yet it would be almost impossible to think how we would define ourselves in a different time and a different place because there would be cultural factors or societal factors. Um, Completely invi- inextricable. Completely inextricable. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so he talks about how he's born in, um, in England, but he's born in a time where he can travel to a university. Mm-hmm. And so now if Carl Truman defines himself, he's an immigrant because mm-hmm. he's born in a time where immigration is to America is easier. He went to a university, though his parents didn't. But had he been born in a different time and place, he might have been defined by a different religious position and the town he lived in. Mm -hmm. And so those are completely societal factors. And what he's trying to get at, Chris, is that um, we don't get to just define ourselves inwardly, that societal factors also define ourselves outwardly. All that to get to this point. Truman has been building this case that human beings, modern human beings, want to be free to create ourselves. But he says this, we we want to have the freedom to create ourselves, but we still need to be recognized by a culture around us. 
Um, uh, an example that you've given in past episodes is talking about the rebellious teenager. Mm-hmm. The rebellious teenager wants to create themselves, but but then there's a vacuum, and they need they need to be in some society. So the rebellious teenager 20 years ago rebels into the goth community, right? Right? Um, or the you know into being a hippie decades mm-hmm. ago, right. or in the modern you know teenage spirit into the LGBT. Mm-hmm. Q community. And so that proves Truman's point here that in the freedom of defining ourselves, we have to get into some other social relationships mm-hmm. because by nature, we are defined by social relationships. How, how, as you reflected on that chapter, Chris, how did you see this, this interplay of proposed freedom for the individual in combination with societal definitions? Yeah. I mean... <sighs> I, <laughs> I I hate to use something that sounds so kind of esoteric and, and so forth, but like if if you say freedom is an illusion, there there is, I mean, we don't want to get into straight up fatalism when we make a statement like that, but I think that if we really boil this down, the idea of, of freedom, and, and we would say in... in like absolute, untethered absolute, freedom. Yeah, in philosophical terms, we talk about libertarian free will. It doesn't mean, you know political liberty, I mean, mm-hmm. complete liberty to do and be as you please, it really doesn't exist. Right. I mean, there's, if, if I decided today that I wanted to go and I wanted to um, fly with my arms into a tree, I can't mm-hmm. do that, yeah. right? So, like, there are constraints that we always experience. There are constraints that, that are always being placed upon us. We're just not always aware of them. Or we operate with the illusion that somehow we are free to do certain things that we really aren't, Mm -hmm. right? So if somebody decides, um, you know, again, like the the teenager thing is is really a meatball, you know, kind of example because all of us, if you're past teenage years, have probably experienced it one degree or another. I mean, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of of teenagers have experienced some type of angst or rebelliousness um, in in their life and their life experience. And so, you know, I... (sighs) We think that we have freedom that we really don't have. But the idea of freedom, I think, is the most compelling thing for the individual to, to, to grasp at, mm-hmm. to say, like, I am this, right? Like, I can be this, and, I, and, and don't tell me. And I think, you know, just going to the biblical assessment of that, that is completely, you know, that is, that is the first lie believed by humanity, that is the first sin that is basically bought into mm-hmm. is that if you if you if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. And and what is it that God has, which is absolute liberty to function mm-hmm. as He pleases according to His character and nature. And for us as individuals, we want that, we desire right. that. And so the idea that we have freedom is really kind of a sin propelled illusion that we maintain that says. We can be in the place of God. We want to be in the place of God. And so we're going to do every single thing we can to try to dispel any notion of, of societal constraint, any notion of, of like being defined by anything other than what we want to be. And our culture has, has right. kind of hit the zenith of that at this point in Western history. So <clears throat> months ago, we talked about individual expression and that being expressed outwardly, but it having to be received, right? Mm-hmm. And Truman is getting down to the nitty gritty of that right now in saying that 
like you're saying, Chris, we, we want to express ourselves, define ourselves, create ourselves in any way we see fit. But the problem is, is that we have a deep human need to be accepted. Right. So whatever we create, whatever we express, it, it has to be received or else we die. Right. Like we emotionally just wither up mm-hmm. and we're scared and afraid. We, we have to have acceptance. And this is where I think Truman is so helpful is saying, it's not just about freedom, but you need to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And that's why the teenager rebels into a new Into group, a community, yeah, right? exactly. Is there's a, a new acceptance there. Um, and so I think we, we need to grapple with that, is that there's a society, all of us are looking for some sort of social group around us to give us acceptance, mm-hmm. and we're willing to radically change ourselves if we think that we're not accepted in one group and we could be accepted in another group. One of the, one of the things that Truman says, Chris, that I thought was super interesting, he says, we are healthier and wealthier than our ancestors. Okay, we got more money and we mm-hmm. live longer, right? We don't die from dysentery, right. dar- like anywhere near as much. The common cold is not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. We're healthier, we're wealthier. If you think in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like we're, we're doing up there. really good yep. as far as needs being met. And yet, we, we see an increase in suicide, depression, and anxiety. Yeah. How can we possibly be healthier and wealthier than our ancestors and yet see such mental health problems? Well, Truman says, we don't know who we are. Right. We've been given this freedom to self-create, but we don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, reflect on that for me, Chris. Yeah, um, I do think that was probably one of the more compelling points that he makes that I think for any individual who who finds themselves in a spot of deep personal angst and a desire to find identity somewhere else, that, that really can resonate with them, right? So that you can, you can find people who are generally very wealthy, um, and even though they may not consider themselves very wealthy, by relative standards, right. pretty wealthy, right? So um, college graduates making 75000 plus a year who are absolutely miserable, right? And so they're looking, uh, they're looking everywhere to find meaning. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that's probably gotten lost in any conversations that are had about these issues because... Behind the search for identity is a search for meaning, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if you if you have an identity, that identity, if it's divorced from purpose, the identity means nothing, right? So, if my identity is as a father, but I don't have children, like I think about a Michael Scott quote where he's talking about how much he wants to be a dad, and he, and he tells somebody, he's like, uh, I also have some children I would like to have one day, like I. I you know, <laughs> it's this, yeah, this identity. Michael Scott wants to be a father, but he doesn't actually have kids, right? So he can't exercise <laughs> what he believes his identity to be. And so this search for meaning that exists ultimately finds its expression within communities and collectives where people can at least together feel like this is what they are. Right. And so and you need the community to tell you. Yes. Right? That's where yes. the recognition piece is, yes. is. And this is not a maybe a weakness as much as an observation of how God has created us is I need a group to tell me yes. various things yes. that, that, that I'm okay, mm-hmm. that I'm doing a decent job, right. that I like, 
that, that I, there's a state, like, this is who you are. You are a husband. You, I need a group around me to tell me that. Which and isn't so, necessarily bad. Right. But when it's defined by things that are not true, stable, genuine, right? So, like, if you have a, say you have a labor union, just using completely non-spiritual language here that anybody might be able to relate to. If you have a labor union and the job of that labor union is to represent the workers who are at a particular spot. So late, lately it's been Starbucks, you know, Coffee Workers Unite, right? So that's the, the, the big thing labor union-wise lately. And, and so let's say this labor union exists to tell all the baristas that they're doing a great job, but let's say they're messing up everybody's orders, mm-hmm. right? So like it would be a good thing to have an organization that represents quality work say you're doing a good job as a barista, right? Yeah. You're doing a good job making coffee for people. But if, if the standard isn't true, if the standard isn't genuine, it doesn't matter that you're part of this community of baristas that are in a labor union. If you stink at your job, right. there's an objective reality. You stink at your job. And so I think what we've done in this particular culture that we live in now is that we have created communities that exist to effectively tell people things that, whether they're objectively true or not, are simply there to affirm what people think themselves to be. Well, to, to take the, the coffee barista analogy, let's say in that scenario you are defined by being a barista, right? Like the, right. That, that's exactly who you are. You can't have someone tell you you're doing it poorly because that means the definition of who you are is, is off, yeah. right? So you need someone, even if you're doing it poorly, to mm-hmm. tell you, so your options here are either someone affirms you even when they shouldn't all the time because right. you need it as a human being, or you need something more foundational mm-hmm. so that when you do a bad job as a coffee barista, mm-hmm. someone can say, hey, you need to do better and your life isn't ruined. Right, exactly. So taking that to gender and sexuality, I th- that's what's happening is at every step, um, you know, Truman uses the example of a, a lesbian relationship where one of the partners decided she wanted to be a man. Mm-hmm. And the other partner had to wrestle with, who does that make me right. now? Right. Does that make me heterosexual? Mm. Does that make me still a lesbian? And, and so mm-hmm. you see that it was unstable, and as one person shifted who they were, there was this fight for recognition. Who are you now and who am I now? Yeah. Because there was nothing deeper than your sexual preference right. to define you. That is, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is yep. so sad to think that like w- that that my entire world could be shattered if my wife changed. Now, not I mean, divorce shatters worlds. I'm not sure. saying that that's not hard, but like in this particular scenario, this person defined themselves by their sexual orientation, and then someone else changed something, and that ruined this person's self-definition mm-hmm. because there was nothing foundational there. Right. And so that, herein lies the problem, Chris, with this idea of plastic people and liquid world that we talked about in our last episode, is that if, if the world isn't fixed, it's always changing, mm-hmm. and people can always change and create themselves, then there is, there is absolutely no fixed thing that Chris or Josh can say, this is who I am. Right. Yep. And that is inherently destabilizing and sad. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think... Let's talk a little bit about, about the fact that um, this recognition piece is ever-changing, right? So sure. uh, here's, here's an example. In, in 2011, and I say 2011 because Truman mentions that even you know, Barack Obama didn't 
avidly support same-sex marriage mm -hmm. until 2012. Mm -hmm. So in 2011, it was okay to be defined as someone who didn't publicly support same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. That's not the case anymore, right? right? Same-sex marriage is assumed. If you were to mm -hmm. say that you were against that, then you are some backwoods weird right. type of person, right? right? Yeah. In 2018, it was acceptable to say that sex and gender were the same mm -hmm. things, and sure, different cultures express male, female in different ways, sure. but I mean, there's, there's not two things there. Yeah, men should not play on women's athletic teams. That was acceptable right. to say. And, and you'd be recognized as a good and decent person right. if you said that. Um, five years ago, it was, you could be recognized as a good and decent person if you just, you didn't say racially offensive things. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the bar. Right. Now, if you don't actively say, vocalize support against racism. Mm -hmm. So the, the point of all these analogies is the, the sh there's constant shifts in how to be recognized as mm -hmm. a good enough person. And I think you probably feel that. It, you're always thinking, well, do I have to vocalize this? Do I have to change this? Mm -hmm. Do I have to say this in order to be recognized as a good person or on the right side right. of history or in line with the standard? Yeah. And, and what we're trying to show is that's not good. It's not mm -hmm. good to have these wildly changing standards. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, the, the term that's, that's used for, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's pejorative necessarily, but I think it's, it's pretty accurate regardless of, of the intent being used, that you have virtue signaling. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, is, is the desire that we have to be affirmed is always going to play itself out in, in society. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not gonna find many people who desire to be good hermits. Yeah. You know, like, you're not, you're not gonna find, and this is where you find even people who are on Twitter hanging out with their 25 cats in their apartment and never interacting with other people outside and having everything door dashed to their house. But they are so obsessed with going on Twitter and saying things that will get responses that are affirming. Yeah. Right. So even, even antisocial individuals don't actually function like hermits. They just function like social individuals in a different collective, a different context. So, you know, when it comes to how, how affirmation exists, you're always seeking it. You're always going to find mm -hmm. it. And um, I, I just, I think it's curious as we look at the way this plays out at all times and all places, it's always sought. It's always sought. And so I, I think that we probably neglect to actually recognize that um, when it comes to individuals defining themselves, we're really always going to seek approval. We right. really are. And, and the, the question is, Am I seeking approval in some way that's, that, that can actually provide me the peace that I'm desiring? Right. I was just at a, a conference a few months ago, and Kevin DeYoung, who's my favorite nerd, he, he gave a talk on w what uh, Protestants know is called justification by faith. Uh, and the basis of justification by faith is that all it takes for the, for the Lord to look on Chris or Josh and say, you are good, is to have faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. Because in faith in Christ, Christ washes Josh's sins. Christ gives Josh his right standing before mm -hmm. God. And so, and so justification by faith is saying, how does the person who has sinned become good with God? Mm -hmm. By faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. And DeYoung, in a, in a pretty masterful way, I think showed that the dominant nature of our culture is a bunch of people trying to figure out how to be okay. Yeah. 
And so the person pursuing different sexual orientations is, it just needs someone else to tell them they're okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and, and needs that repeatedly. We've talked about this in past episodes. Yeah. It's not even good for 50% of the people you know, or 55% or 65% mm-hmm. of people to say, you're okay, you need 100%. Yeah. It's constantly evolving. Um, and that's because we, we, we live in a world where we have... I keep using the word destabilized. We have a destabilized voice telling us what is okay, mm-hmm. recognize. Um, and I think what Kevin DeYoung showed is that all of us are searching for the voice of God saying, you're enough. Right. You're okay. Yep. yep. And, and so you can find that in many different places, but if you find that based on your inner feelings, you constantly have to express those inner feelings and have mm-hmm. Chris or Josh or someone else say, you're okay, you're doing well. Yep. Or if you find that based on your virtues and based on, um, being right about different moral issues, then you constantly have to express those virtues so mm-hmm. someone else can say, cool, went to high school with Chris, looks like he's still on the right path, looks right. like he's still okay, Yeah. right? Um, or Chris needs to put himself over and against other people and how immoral they are mm-hmm. so that he can go, okay, good, yeah. Chris is okay. But yeah. all of it, once it boils down to this deep human need to be just okay, yeah. <laughs> to go to bed at night and go, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah I think one one significant just societal factor that, that probably has contributed to this is the decline in, in fatherhood, you know, as far as fathers being present, because I, I think there's just something very unique, and this is built in, I, I truly believe God is built into humanity, is to have, you know, even for me as a 40-year-old man, I still want to hear somebody my father's age, a man tell me, you're doing a good job. Yeah, Still want to hear that. Um, I was watching the other day, it's actually a pretty good series. So a guy named Nathan Fielder did a series a handful of years ago called Nathan For You, absolutely hilarious. Uh, but he, he did this new series that just premiered a, a handful of weeks back and wrapped up the first season uh, this past weekend uh, called The Rehearsal. And he, it's basically like starts out kind of funny, but then it goes into this exploration of his desire to be a dad and how to do be a dad the right way. But he doesn't have kids, he doesn't have a wife. He's practicing, like he's rehearsing and he has these kids step in as actors, and it, it, it's really, it's quite funny, but I think it's also a really interesting exploration of, of how, you know, human society functions, how individuals function in, in different roles in society. And one of the kids that, that steps in is really heartbreaking, and his entire final episode is basically centered around this. One of these kids who's an actor, a six-year-old kid, and um, he's playing Nathan's son, hmm. and he does not have a dad in real life. His mother never got married to the, the father of her son and he's off, you know, she doesn't know where and the kid doesn't know where. Yeah. And he so desires to have a dad that he keeps calling him daddy. Even after his spot in the show is over. He keeps calling him dad over and over and over. And so Nathan has to make this conscious effort to go back to this kid's house, personal home, and say, I'm not your dad. I'm not your dad. But there's this desire, mm-hmm. this deep search for a, a sense of like personal connectedness and affirmation that this, this kid just doesn't want to give up on. It's absolutely heartbreaking. But you see, it's built into people so that even at the age of six, you want to hear that yeah. from a structure, from a source. But I think culturally, we've, we, we throw off the idea of authority and everything. We're fooling ourselves, I think, by saying we don't want to hear that. At the end of the day, I think everybody does. Mm-hmm. We just kind of want to like plug our ears and say... And we want to hear it way more than we'd like to admit. Yes, absolutely. And we need to hear it way more than we'd like to confess. Yep. 
Um, like, and I was laying in bed with my wife last night and in kind of a, I don't know, a moment of neediness, I just said, do you like me? You know, sometimes I feel like I really get on my wife's nerves. Sometimes I feel like I'm acting publicly in a way that embarrasses her, (laughs) which I probably am. And and I I think just in a moment, you know, end of the day type of like soft, but a little pretty needy, you know, just was like, do you like me? And she very sweetly responded, I do, and you're my best friend. I'm, I'm really glad I'm married to you. And I, I looked at her and, and said, I'm probably going to need to hear that tomorrow, too. Mm. And it was half joke, half true. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this idea of recognition is we don't want to admit just how deeply we long for people repeatedly to tell us mm-hmm. that they like us and that we're doing all right. Yep. Um, and that's... That's this human core need that the sexual revolution is trying to fulfill, right. is, is flaunting orientations and identities and changing, trying to change biological nature and trying to change the norms of what is good and right and true to do in the bedroom, all so that someone can say, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Chris, would you preach the gospel, please, and tell me why what God says is more peaceful, more beautiful, more true in regards to humans trying to find that? Yeah, so yesterday I preached out of the book of Zechariah, and um, this, this will answer the question. It uh, might sound obscure to some people who are familiar with the Bible and think, what does Zechariah have to do with this issue? But um, the prophet Zechariah is, is prophesying to the, the people of Judah after they had seen their city destroyed, their sense of national identity obliterated. They were pretty miserable, awful situation. And yet God was doing a work in them, bringing them to their senses, mm-hmm. coming to see like, wow, how had they blown it? What, what had actually happened that provoked this absolute disaster, um, the destruction of Jerusalem? Terrible, terrible event. And God was bringing them to their senses saying, look, like, you did this, you yeah. did this, you did this. And, and so I think we hear that as, as a bad news moment, and yet what God provides us is this vision that the prophet Zechariah has uh, in, in chapter three, I believe, of Zechariah, is of uh, the high priest Joshua, your namesake, um, Joshua. And, and Joshua is standing before the Lord, and he has Satan next to him, and, he, and Joshua is wearing dirty clothes, Right? So he's wearing these dirty garments, they're filthy, and Satan is accusing him, saying, mm-hmm. look at you, you dirty, filthy sinner. You're before a holy God, how are you going to stand before this God? And yet what God does with Joshua is, is he commands that Joshua be given clean garments, mm-hmm. be given clean clothes, to be you know, cleansed, to be purified, because that was the need, was absolute purity. And as the book progresses then out of those visions comes forward to some statements that God just kind of directly makes through Zechariah. He, he talks about a day when um, the, the people, these, these, these sinning people would look on God himself as a pierced God, a God who would be pierced mm-hmm. and that out of that piercing there would flow this fountain that would provide cleansing for the people of God. And the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, this new identity that people feel like, well, that's oppressive. You know, why would you want somebody else to define you? In Christ, finding him as your defining uh, identity, this is who you are, you're, you're, you're consumed in Christ, you're clean mm-hmm. and you're accepted. So that even at the end of the day when you realize, man, I've got dirty clothes, I've been made clean, I've been made pure, yeah. I've been made whole, so that I am accepted 
in spite of my flaws. God knows my flaws. He knows my faults. He knows all the things that make me unacceptable. If God looked and said, Joshua, the clothes aren't that dirty. Joshua would say, okay, that feels all right, but I know the clothes are dirty. Then he looks in the mirror. And so the gospel is so much better than affirming someone and saying, you're good. Exactly how you are right now. Because it deals in truth and reality. God says, you're not okay. Right. I will make you exactly okay, exactly. and and you can have that for eternity. Yep. Oh, hallelujah, Chris. Amen. We want recognition. We need recognition. We are needy little creatures, <laughs> but we're not going to find it in expressing sexual orientation. Right. We're going to find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, thanks for taking some time to think. We'll see you on the next episode.